This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. I don't know about you, but I could use a weekend. Trouble is, there's no getting away from this coronavirus mess. A lot of people not working anymore. Most Americans stuck at home, not going out. And when they do go to a grocery store or something like that, they're in masks or in gloves or both, trying to stay away from everybody, petrified of getting this awful virus. Talk about a stressful time. It's unreal, but it's real. And we're glad you keep coming back, listening to us, trying to help understand what's going on from a variety of perspectives and a whole range of all of these corona-related issues, like this one you're about to hear today in our Weekend Extra. What this crisis has done to the presidential campaign, which has had a hard time getting the spotlight in 2020. I mean, for the first five weeks of this year, impeachment and the Senate trial overshadowed the Democratic race. And for the past five weeks, it's been all about the coronavirus dominating the news. It's left Joe Biden stuck at home in Delaware with Bernie Sanders still hanging on. And with almost all the primaries delayed till June... And the Democratic convention now pushed back to August. Very few people paying attention to this. The other day on our rundown, David Pluff joined us. He was Barack Obama's 2008 campaign manager and then an advisor to the president after he won. We talked to David Pluff before Joe Biden, who's been very critical of President Trump's handling of the coronavirus crisis, took up a White House offer to give support instead of criticism. And Biden said he'd be glad to call the president who on Wednesday replied that he'd be glad to talk to Biden. Well, for time reasons, we were not able to include the entire conversation we have with David Bluff today. We can, and we will. Once again, though, we appreciate you being there for us. We wish you the best in these really difficult times. Do your best to be healthy. Keep your social distance, and please keep coming back for more from us. And now, David Bluff on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Let's see. Let's see if he's there. David Pluff, can you hear me? I sure can, yeah. Hi, it's Dave Anthony. How are you? Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Thank you for uh, doing this with us. It's so much appreciated. It's a crazy time, obviously, for everybody. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, none of us have gone through anything like this, and uh, and we're trying to you know deal with a campaign that's been on the back burner, I guess, all this, too. So. Yeah, no. It, hopefully we never will, but it is definitely yeah, nuts. one for the history books. No, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, all right. So, David, if you are if you are ready, we will get started. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> Joining us now is David Pluff. He was the campaign manager in 2008 for then candidate Barack Obama. Also worked as an advisor for the president after his election. And he has two books out, A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump and Ripples of Hope, Your Guide to Electing a New President. First, David, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dave. Here we are. You're obviously, you know all about political campaigns, but this one in 2020 has suddenly come to a halt. This is a really weird time for everybody. Well, yeah, of course, we're most concerned about the health impacts and economic impacts for the population. But sure, in, in campaigns, the one thing you desire above all else is certainty if you're running a campaign. And, you know, this is probably... Um, it may be the most uncertain presidential campaign um, we've ever had in the country. 
Wow. I mean, we're, that's that's saying a lot because we go back, you know, all the way to the founding of this nation. And there have been crises and presidential elections that occurred. Abraham Lincoln had to go through a re-election in 1864. Yes. Well, we had 1864. We obviously had both the 1940 race, which was a critical race uh, right before World War II in terms of our involvement in 1944 during the war. But, you know, we don't know if we're going to be living in a pandemic in the fall. We don't know if the economic uh, impact is going to be at depression level, recession level, how long it's going to last. So, yes, 1864, 1944, 1968, we've had elections with a lot of turbulence. But we're going to have both turbulence, and there's just so much we don't know. And in fact, even are you going to be able to physically campaign, or is this going to be our first virtual election? Yeah, and and that is interesting when you look at there is someone, a candidate, who's on TV every day dealing with the coronavirus response. And that, I guess, could be a double-edged sword for President Trump, right? Right. I mean, he's trying to turn it into his, you know, version of his rallies and he's getting big audience. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I mean, as as each day um, transpires in April and as we lead into May, you know, the death toll rising, um, the number of cases rising, the number of unemployed rising, the number of businesses shuttering. You know, you can't blame Trump for the crisis, but I do think there's going to be more and more attention paid to our preparation and lack of preparation. So um, at the end of the day, he gets the audience every day, but he also may remind people every day, particularly as we get deeper in April, that, you know, he downplayed this. There's a bunch of mistakes he made. So um, I think it is a double-edged sword. I think you put it really, pretty, really well. But at the same time, you have to be careful when you're Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders attacking the president and injecting politics into a time in which a lot of people are not interested in politics. Right. I'd say a couple things. So one, um, I think there are boundaries. So, you know, I, but, but I'd say, so you do have to be careful, you know, you can't have, you know, sort of the stereotypical creepy negative ad on TV, but one Trump, you know, practices politics every day from the podium. So it'd be one thing if Trump was like, you know what, I'm not going to say anything ill about anybody and I don't care about. He just said yesterday that, you know, he doesn't want to make it easier for people to vote because then Republicans would lose elections. So, again, I think Trump, in a way, opens up more criticism of his performance because of the way he performs every day. Um, but, yeah, I think for, if you're Biden and listen, Biden's the nominee, our primary's over statistically. So I, I think what's going to be interesting for Biden is. You know, yes, you want to talk to the country about what we need to do right now in the middle of the crisis. But I think increasingly people are going to be paying attention to how do we dig out of this economic hole? Are we ready for the next pandemic? And I think that's an opportunity for Biden to say, if I get elected president, here's what I'll be doing. Because whether it's Trump who gets reelected or Biden in his first term, their first term is going to be defined, particularly the first couple of years, by the economic overhang of this pandemic. You know, that's something that you know very well, because in 2008, we were in an economic crisis. Barack Obama was elected, and that was the first thing and the only thing he had to deal with was trying to figure out what to do. Right. So, you know, he was still able to pass health care and Wall Street reform and some other things. But, yeah, that that defined his first term. So I and I think Trump does the disservice by trying to suggest that the economy is just going to snap back. I mean, you talk to any business leader, you look at what any economist is saying, this is not going to be a V-shaped situation where we go down super fast and deep and we come back up equally fast. And so I think that 
um, again, if Trump wins re-election, 2021, 2022, maybe even 2023 is defined by digging out of a really deep economic hole and the same thing for Biden. So that's exactly right. The, the main issue for our next president, we already know what it's going to be because this economic hole is going to be, I mean, you know, we may see unemployment rates, you know, into the 20s, certainly into the mid to high teens, which is much higher than we even saw back in 08 or 09. Now, that, in a traditional political sense, would be a killer for an incumbent president to have to try to be reelected during a terrible economic time. So that seems on the face to give Joe Biden an advantage. Do, do you think that's true? Well, I think if you can make clear that that, you know, one of the reasons and one of the main reasons we're in as deep an economic hole as we are is because Trump did not prepare and didn't he downplayed this. And I think you can look at countries like South Korea. So there's going to be evidence to suggest that countries that took this more seriously uh, are going to rebound more quickly. Um, So so I think, yeah, I think you can make a pretty convincing case. And I think part of the argument would be, do you really want this guy in charge for another four years when we could have another crisis? That being said, Trump's got a rock solid base. I think he's going to register a lot of new voters and turn out a lot of new voters. He's a skilled campaigner. So so, yeah, you look at the economic situation and say, how can incumbent win in that? But, uh, you know, no one's blaming Trump for the pandemic, number one. I think if you can. Uh, lay his crisis response at his feet and connect that to the economy, I do think that's some headwinds he's got to run into. But almost no matter what happens, you know, can Donald Trump win Wisconsin? Can he win Michigan? Can he win Pennsylvania? Can he win Florida? Sure, because his base is so solid. And I think he's going to turn out voters almost at a historical level on his behalf. So that makes him very dangerous if you're Joe Biden. You had mentioned that laying the response at his feet One of the things that he and the Republicans use to counter this is that when the president said no more people coming from China and put a ban on it, Joe Biden and others were critical that that wasn't the right thing to do. So both can argue back and forth on that, correct? Well, I think I think history will show that was the right decision. But, you know, saying we're at 15 cases will go down to zero, um, you know, basically continually downplaying this, getting rid of the pandemic office, mishandling the testing. I mean, you know, you go on and on and on and on. And basically, if you had a book on your shelf about crisis management 101, Trump will have violated most of the chapters. So uh, I think in totality, um, I think most people will buy. He didn't take it seriously. He was worried about his reelection. He was worried about the stock market. So again, you just look at South Korea. South Korea uh, dealt with it in the appropriate way. Super serious, knew that it would cause an economic shock, um, needed it, wanted to test everybody. That's one way. The Trump way, I think, has led us. You know, America is now the center of the pandemic crisis. And so, so yeah, listen, I do think you're going to see pretty soon Trump's campaign running ads on television and on um, digital platforms, basically doing hero worship ads. He closed the border. You know, he's the one that's got the five minute test. I mean, they're going to be doing advertising. Well, isn't so, that, you know, isn't you, that, I mean, to be fair, though, those things are true. He did do that with China. He did with getting the FDA to quickly approve tests and different ways and a public private partnership. He did help to increase the amount of testing because apparently the government wasn't well set up to deal with something to, to this size. 
Well, we should have done it weeks ago. So, so yeah, the border thing uh, with China and the flights, I think he uh, made the right decision, and I think you'll see him rightly take credit for that. But again, so much of this comes down to we lost weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, in some cases months, by not treating it seriously. I mean, all you have to do is look at the time series of Trump's comments uh, and his statements. It was downplaying it. Um, it was downplaying the need to do tests. And, you know, he even said, you know, I want to I like the numbers where they are. So why would I bring people on shore and do more tests? So, again, um, I think the, the, the cardinal sin here, the original sin was not taking the threat as seriously as you needed to take it. Now we're playing catch up. And listen, the Army Corps of Engineers is building field hospitals. We're all excited to see that. Obviously, the federal government, uh, when it's really pointed in the right place, can be super efficient. But we're playing catch up. Other countries didn't have to do that. And I think, you know, that will really be the question as people really look back on this and say, could we have avoided, avoided the worst? And I think almost undeniably, the answer will be yes. Now, does that mean Trump's going to lose the election because of that? No, it doesn't. But I do think that's a fair question. And I think if you posit it as do you want four more years of Trump in control when the pandemic may come back, where we may have other pandemics, where we may have other crises? I don't think he's shown himself to be a source of great stability. That's my view. And I, I, my, my sense is there'll be enough voters out there uh, who see it that way that it will cause a risk for Trump. But again, he is running a reelection campaign of great sophistication, of great resources, of great focus, uh, and an incumbents always have advantages in re-election. So, um, you know, and again, I think the, yeah, is his campaign going to do, do advertising very soon? Yes. Will some Democrats howl about that? Yes. But to me, that's in bounds. That's in their right to, you know, communicate about what they think Trump did right. Bernie Sanders is still in this race. You said it's over. The math doesn't work for him. Bernie Sanders, he said that we're in a crazy time. He was on uh, NBC the other night, and he said we can't do rallies, we can't go door-to-door. But he's still in the race. He says it's admittedly a narrow path, and he's still trying. What could possibly happen for Bernie Sanders to turn the tables? Anything? No, there. I mean, there is no path. So, you know, my guess is they're waiting to see uh, ultimately what the final calendar looks like. So, as, as you know, a lot of states are now pushing their primaries from April and May into June. Um, but no, I mean, Joe Biden's got an over 300 uh, delegate lead. And in our proportional system, that might as well be 3000. So there's no way for Bernie Sanders to make up the gap. So I'm not sure at this point what he's doing in, in, unless he's trying to figure out, OK, what what is my exit strategy? Um, you know, are there some concessions I can get in the Democratic platform? Um, can I get some of my staff hired in the Biden campaign? All those are fair things to do. But, you know, Joe Biden needs to move uh, to the general election. If I were the Biden campaign, I would spend 100 percent of my time, 100 percent of my resources, 100 percent of my mind share on the general election because he's going to be the nominee and he's facing in Donald Trump a ferociously competitive, skilled campaigner who's going to have the best funded, most digitally sophisticated campaign we've ever seen. Now, polls have shown the race seems to be pretty tight. A problem for Joe Biden, if we can't get out there and he can't do rallies and he can't have campaign events, he's stuck at home and he seems like he's distant. The president of the White House dealing with this response every day. How difficult is it for Joe Biden right now? Well, listen, the polls, I think, you know, th there's polls this week that show Biden with an eight or 10 point lead nationally. Now, in some of the key battlegrounds, you know, that would probably mean a three or four point lead. So that is significant. So Biden enters the race uh, with a small lead. But, you know, he's not faced 
the withering hundreds of millions of dollars of negative ads coming from Trump. That's coming soon, number one. So I think those numbers will tighten up. You know, it is a disadvantage for Biden, but there's nothing he can do about it. He's not in office. He's not a governor. Uh, he's not the president. And and truthfully, um, you know, Andrew Cuomo, Gavin Newsom, Mike DeWine, Donald Trump, you know, citizens want to hear from those folks because they're the folks making decisions. So all Biden can do, I think, is, you know, leverage interviews, but also, you know, leverage social media every day. So what's your plan every day to communicate how you would handle this crisis? Um, now, as we get in, I think, deeper into the summer and fall, Biden probably becomes the spokesperson for the Democratic Party. So like the stimulus package that just passed, you know, my guess is he's the person that's narrating the Democratic play there. And so he'll get a little bit more um, equality in that respect. But no, there's no doubt that, you know, he's at a disadvantage here. But, um, you know, it's not an unfair disadvantage because he's not in office. He's a political candidate right now. So he doesn't have control of the crisis response. And so, um, yeah, he's going to be more limited. Um, so all he can do is what what can he control? He can control the interviews he does, the content he puts out, how he's using Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. So so the, he's got a lot in his control, his advertising, but the sort of the news media megaphone, and that has become a megaphone. You know, uh, earned media has become more disaggregated, as you know better than I. Uh, but at moments of crisis, it still gets aggregated up to a powerful force. And, you know, so Trump every day is going to have that weapon uh, at his disposal. And the most high profile Democrat in the country is one you referenced, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. And there have been people talking about what, how do we get him on uh, as the Democratic nominee? Yeah, well, he didn't run. So, you know, our, the Democratic nominee is Joe Biden. No, no way around it. So but, you know, Cuomo, I think, is interesting because you think about before the coronavirus, would Andrew Cuomo be somebody you would think would be a good surrogate in places like Wisconsin or Pennsylvania even or Michigan? Probably not. Right. Or people don't really know him. Right. Now he's going to be almost universally known. So for him to be in those states in the fall saying, let me tell you why I need Joe Biden in the White House. He'll be my partner in crisis and rebuilding the economy. That's going to be pretty powerful, actually. As we get into the summer, do you think we're going to have conventions? I don't know. So, I mean, I think if I was the Democratic Party, um, I would definitely think about uh, a scenario that moves it back. You know, they're in July, early July or mid-July. Republicans are late in August. So one, can you move it back? And I don't know. So I think both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party have to do scenario planning here. One is a traditional convention in person, four nights. The other is a virtual convention. Uh, listen, the same thing's going to be true for the election. You have to prepare to run an election in the fall um, that may be all mail-in. And that's very different, as you know. Um, and so, um, you know, presidential campaigns are hard enough under ideal circumstances. So you have to scenario plan out conventions that are virtual in person. Election that's more traditional, almost all or maybe exclusively uh, by mail. Will we have presidential debates? We can have him in a studio. So, so, But Trump's saying he may not debate. So if you're Joe Biden, you need to have a, a plan for a fall election with debates and a fall election without debates. So, that would be weird um, if there was no debate at all. I mean, I, I mean, I know that there's typically three. In 1980, they barely had one, and it was very late at the end. But typically, debates are just part of the deal, right? They are. I mean, Trump's saying he may not debate. I think that's all a negotiating posture to try and get, you know, a few moderators he likes. Plus, Trump, as we know, the one thing he he cannot abide is not being in the spotlight and to be accused of being weak. So I think he's going to debate for that reason, because Joe Biden would be like, you know, Joe uh, Trump's oh, yeah. scared of me. He yeah, won't you're debate afraid. Me. Like, you're I, afraid. What are you afraid right. of? Right. 
So Trump's I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't debate. But if you're but you have to do the responsible thing if you're the Biden campaign, your opponent saying you may not debate. So those are three big moments. And if Trump doesn't debate, you don't have them. You have two books. One, A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump. The other, Ripples of Hope, Your Guide to Electing a New President. Obviously, those written before we are dealing with this brand new world order with the coronavirus. What of those books, and, and for those who do want the president defeated, what are universal that are before and after coronavirus that are necessary for that to happen? Yeah, well, luckily I did spend a lot of time on activities that could be done from the comfort of your home. <laughs> so... Um, you know, uh, there's plenty of I, I write about them book, plenty of progressive groups, um, you know, indivisible swing left uh, state Democratic parties uh, that give the opportunity to write postcards into battleground states or make phone calls. Uh, everybody can create and share content. Um, I had an interesting Twitter exchange with somebody yesterday who said I read your book and because you encouraged me to do it. Uh, I had canceled my Facebook account. I'm I'm putting it back on. Like everyone's got to be on social media because that's so much the front uh, front of this war. So the one activity that right now is not a, is not going to be available to people is door knocking. And again, if you're a campaign, what if it's September and October and door knocking's not safe? Phone calling, postcards, uh, or virtual organizing, relational organizing, all those become very important. So one question for me is, you know, the Biden campaign, while they're not the official nominee, they do need to move to the general election. So my sincere hope is within the next couple of weeks, all of us who are at home get emails and, and text messages from the Biden campaign saying, hey, we now want you to reach out to voters in Florida and Michigan and North Carolina. People now, if you're a first responder, you you don't have any time, obviously. A lot of people are homeschooling their kids. But there's a lot of people who aren't commuting, may have an extra hour, uh, you know, a week or two hours a week, I think would be open to participating. So most of what I write about in the book is actually stuff you can do from home. Um, the one question will be, uh, are people going to be able to door knock? And we don't know the answer to that. They can't door knock now. I hope they can in the summer. I hope they can in the fall. But if not, then the campaign becomes more virtual. Um, things, old school things like postcards become more important. Uh, and, that you know, that's complicated because the most effective communication is a, one human being looking another human being in the eye. Right. Now, we can do that on Zoom, but that's deficient. But that may be where we're headed. And again, you have to scenario plan for a campaign uh, that doesn't have door knocking at your disposal. Yeah, I think people are going to get sick of Zoom and FaceTime pretty soon anyway. Cause it's, it's the I, only... think, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's all we got right now. Last question. I saw in one survey, you mentioned progressives, that there were up to 15 percent of Bernie Sanders supporters who might vote for President Trump. How, how if that were to happen... What was is that? How bad would that be for Joe Biden if that was true? Well, those numbers obviously would be problematic. I, I think history suggests. I mean, if I recall back in '08 in our primary with Hillary Clinton, it was more like 25 percent of Hillary Clinton supporters that they wouldn't vote for Obama, and he got the highest percentage of Democratic vote ever. So um, that tends to recede. Number one. Number two, I think Bernie Sanders will campaign his heart out for Joe Biden, so that will help with some of those voters. Right, he'll try, to, also, he'll try to sway his own people not to do that. Right, but, you know, Joe Biden also has to, to reach out, and his campaign needs to reach out. Uh, I write about this in my book, actually. Um, it wasn't about Bernie and, and Sanders specifically, but generally, if you're supporting the winning candidate, so let's say you're in North Carolina uh, and you were with Biden, 
uh, and you know the 10 or 12 most active Sanders people in your community, you need to reach out to them. Now, I, I say you should invite them over to your home. You can't do that now. <laughs> but you can call them. You can text them. Say, we need you. We want you in this campaign. So my, that number, I think, will go down and down and down. But it's something that will take work. The bigger concern I have, actually, is, you know, there was a poll out recently that captured um, the enthusiasm for both Trump and Biden. Uh, and you know, Trump supporters were almost twice as enthusiastic as Biden supporters. So that's something Biden really has to work on. It's one thing for people just to decide I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. And, you know, that matters in the score tally as well. But you want people to be enthusiastic so they volunteer. Uh, and so that is something I think he's got to work on. This can't just be he's the guy who's running against Trump. That's half of it. The other half is I'm excited about Biden. And that's going to take a lot of work. Um, and that's probably, for me, the thing I'm most concerned about is if you roll into the election with an enthusiasm gap of 20 or 30 points, it's hard to win. Yeah. And and President Trump, love him or, or hate him, he has a lot of energy and he doesn't stop. And he might do three or four rallies a day as you get into October. Can Joe Biden keep up with that? He's going to have to. And, you know, J J Donald Trump's supporters are enthusiastic. I think there's so much press coverage of how motivated Democrats are to be Trump, and that's important. But, you know, Trump's base is just as motivated if, and more right now um, to see him seek a second term and, and win a second term. So that's a big, big, big concern. And, and I think there's a sleeping giant out there in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. There's a lot of people who look just like Trump's base who either weren't registered or didn't vote in, in 16. And the Trump campaign campaign is finding them. So he's going to turn out, you know, 10 percent, uh, maybe 15 percent more vote than he did last time. And so the high watermark, his high watermark is is very high. And the Democrats are going to have to put a lot of vote on the table to beat him. David Bluff, two books, A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump, also Ripples of Hope, your guide to electing a new president. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Download and subscribe to original podcast from Fox News Radio. It's time to get caught up on what's happened and what's next. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcast.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.